It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode of 12 Pack Radio is made possible by Nextiva, the official communications partner of the Pac-12, and the best business phone service is chosen by U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva helps companies from all over Pac-12 countries stay connected with customers and coworkers using one easy-to-use app. Get Nextiva for your business and get business phone service, video conferencing, team chat, call reporting, and more, all for a fraction of what you would pay for those services separately. Make great calls every day. Visit nextiva.com slash 12pack to get started. Nextiva.com slash 12pack to get started. Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world-famous full-time champs and feel the power! It's a new day, yes it is! For 12-pack radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news and the home of the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model. This is a Sharp College Football Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Brian Conger, and we are rolling through bowl season. We had our first game, the Jimmy Kimmel Live Los Angeles debacle. We'll talk about that. We have (laughs) the Holiday Bowl coming up, the Alamo Bowl coming up. We're going to preview those games. Lots of transfers to get into, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Rob Bowron. How are you, Rob? I'm um, not bad. Uh, beta ranks at five and four against the spread, which is pretty good for the usual craziness of bowl season. Oh, absolutely. And, and that reminds me. So it's so funny because we're, we're hosting our bowl pool and um, thanks for everybody for joining. We had about 30 people join and, and pay the entry fee, which is awesome. So it's a little bit of skin of the game for everybody. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to a couple folks that are winning right now. And I think one of the things that was really fascinating for me was Rob, when somebody sent in their, um, their entry fee they they said i just picked beta rank on it on every game and i'm like oh no not during bowls it's kind of a crap shoot <laughs> if you're gonna do that it should have been like three weeks ago no no but like five and four to your point is, is actually pretty good and i'm um just because and we've talked about this a little bit but it, it's a motivation play um a lot of the the starters aren't you know, they, they end up not actually playing in the game. You know, you fly two teams to the Bahamas and they're like, where are the Bahamas? And then they don't play any defense. I mean, it's just kind of that. It's such a weird time. But um, but still, the, the same teams are, for the most part, on the field. Right. And um, so shout out to Cho and um, and our friend Ryan Hart, who's a listener of the podcast and um, has hosted hosted me uh, for a couple coup games, which has been super fun. They're seven and three, along with Pasadena Bound and Rob. We should do our our celebrity picks, right? So it's you and me. We're tied. We're really we're and we're we're giving off like really strong, at least for a while, celebrity Jeopardy vibes. You know, for for the for all the the Pac-12 experts that are picking the Bulls, we're tied at four and five. We got our friend uh, Ralph Amston from Pac-12 Apostles, three and seven. Get it together, Ralph. And, of course, our friend Adam Chimeo, who's two and eight. And he, the one, he didn't even get the Pac-12 uh, <laughs> bowl right. <laughs> so it's it's been a, a rough go for us here. Um, and uh, and it's just been an interesting bowl season in general. 
And I guess we might as well. Let's just, since we're talking bowls, we should talk about the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl to, to start off the podcast with Oregon State playing Utah State. And we had previewed this game last week. You can listen to that if you want. And I think one of the things that, oh, I should mention Chris Osgood also in the pool. So thanks for, for joining us, Chris. We'll see if uh, he's like the only one that studies tape around here. So hopefully he does really well. Um, but like, to, you know, going to the LA Bowl that was sponsored by like Jimmy Kimmel. You know, we, we we thought that Oregon State could run into some trouble because Utah State was playing hard, but we also thought Oregon State would play hard just because this is the first bowl they've been to for a long time. And uh, But we also said maybe there would be a lot of points scored in this game, and lo and behold, Oregon State scores 13 points the entire game against a group of five team. Is there any takeaways if you're, you know, if you're Oregon State uh, alum or an Oregon State fan? you know, coming, coming away from this bowl. I mean, your biggest takeaway here, <clears throat> if you're an Oregon state fan is, <clears throat> you know, like, I mean, it's nice to be back at a bowl. Um, that's certainly true. Giving up, you know, you know, 24 points and 383 yards to a group of five team with their backup quarterback in, not great. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And that's even, I mean, like Utah state had more turnovers in this game. Yeah. Um, you know, Oregon state finished plus one on turnovers. I mean, the big watch out in this game was just that the, the beeves just could not put up points. You know, they, they, they outgained Utah state, but they really struggled to put points together. They were pretty miserable on third down four of 12, um, went for it twice on fourth down and went zero for two. I mean, just real, just a real rough. I mean, the the defense got a lot of attention for having played poorly, but I mean, I, I you got to feel like the the offense played far worse uh, in this game. Oh, I, for me, it showed me that they have work to do because there's some games where you know the bowl game is kind of like a whatever. I think in this particular case, I think it was a bit of a barometer for Oregon State because. This, they were playing a team that was trying, and they were at full strength. You didn't have a lot of opt-outs in this game, and you, you kind of saw the same issues that we've seen here where the defense has been kind of a mess. And, I mean, say what you will, I I, I do know that, you know, Oregon State rushed for about, what was it, like 150? Yeah, 150 yards. Yeah. They, they earned it, though. They really had to... <laughs> Like they had to grind. Yeah, it wasn't easy. It was not easy against the Utah State front at all. I, I think like one of the things that I really want to look into next year is there was a lot, particularly from the commenters that were doing a lot of the Oregon State games. This Oregon State rushing offense, and and it's it's good, but when it went up against teams that really could push back a little bit, that they they did tend to sputter out, and we saw that again here. Um, you know, you would hope that they get to 200 and get a few explosive plays against the Aggies. And that didn't happen. I mean, again, like it, it's an interesting and we'll get into recruiting too, because they've been doing a pretty good job bringing in big bodies, which I think is really important for Oregon state, a good year overall, you know, seven and six, they made their first bowl, but clearly some, <laughs> they still have a little bit of growing to do if they really want to push um, harder for the PAC 12 North. Yeah. I mean, I, they definitely had, you're right that they had some up and down games. I think that Oregon game, stands out, but they, they ran the ball really well against Utah. Um, and when they, when they beat the Utes, I just, it does, it is odd to see them. I mean, and they struggled in pass protection too, against Utah state. I mean, Utah state showed up and, and, and really played well. I thought in this game, um, 
but yeah, the Beavs certainly have have work to do, and I think come away from this with with real questions too. I mean, they just made the internal promotion on defense. Um, there's a lot of really good defensive coordinators going in the Mountain West right now to to not go out and make one of those hires and to go internal. I thought it was a bit of a risk, how much given how much the defense has really held them back. Um, and then you can see, I mean, they really needed, I think, in this game. You just needed more of a threat in the passing game. And I think that's not just on Nolan. I mean, I think they need to get some better pass catchers as well um, in order to really put themselves in a position where if they're not able to run the ball well, they have an alternative. Yeah. And, you know, our expectations for Oregon State aren't sky high. If they're the Kansas State of the Pac-12 with a better offense, I mean, I'd be super happy about that. Just really consistently good. The, the biggest difference being, I want wash. I want Oregon State to be able to win on the road rather than just oh crap, it's cold and it's wet and you got to go to Corvallis and they're five and five or you know three and two and you're a ranked team and you lose because that's what happens when you go to Corvallis. I want them to get beyond that to where oh snap, like we have to play Oregon State at home and that's a problem. You know, like I think they can get there, but I totally agree yeah. with you. The defensive coordinator hire, man. If if that is your biggest hangup right now, then go out and find somebody and pay him and get him in the door and really beef up that defense. We'll see if the internal hire does that. I'm kind of skeptical, but um, we have, we have other hires to mention here. Rob, Washington State made there. I mean, basically Caleb DeBoer. It's so funny. I, I keep saying Caleb Balage. I realized that the last couple of podcasts just because <laughs> that, that guy was awesome to watch as a running back at Arizona State. Uh, but Caleb DeBoer bringing basically his staff with him from Fresno State to Washington. You know, it's it's hard to grade these hires, but what's like your general reaction to that development? I mean, I thought Inge, you know, was a pretty good defensive coordinator um, for Fresno State. They had a, you know, the, like I was just talking about, the Mountain West had some pretty good DCs this year. Um, you know, Fresno's defense came in at 52 overall in beta rank. That's a good group of five defense. Um, you know, so, you know, that, that feels like a good pickup for them. Um, but the tough thing is, of course, is like Washington's really, you know, the defense has carried that team for years. Um, you know, it just feels a little more precarious all of a sudden, right? Like they might be switching schemes. Um, you know, like they're going to have some different personnel looks to fit that scheme. I mean, you still like the talent that they're going to have in the secondary, but it's just, it, that, you know, the part that you were, you know, you sort of felt like you could, I mean, with the exception of the run defense, which has been pretty bad, but you still felt like you could sort of hang your hat on that Washington defense. Um, yeah, you're expecting offensive improvement, but eesh, like it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a decent name. I mean, I just, it, it's, uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that works. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something to keep an eye on. Again, I think for the long term, DeBoer could work out. And I like when we talked about the hire, you know, I think it was a pretty good, he has a good track record, but it's not, you know, it's not a knockout of the park. And, and, you don't really know until you know, you know, there's been a lot of home run and air quote hires that flame out. So I, I really would, I would love to see Washington get to that next level. I think with DeBoer, it's going to take a few years to get there. And, but if he gets there, I think it, man, it will be a fun offense. And yeah. I'm really excited about that, but let, let's see what they do on the defensive end. Because like you mentioned, that has been really their bread and butter for the last couple shoot, like the last decade, well, not decade, probably the last like five years. So um, just something interesting to keep an eye out for, you know, moving to Colorado, Rob, Mike Sanford was the coordinator that they ended up going with. I 
initially when the news came out, I kind of, I wanted to like knee jerk reaction, just kind of pan the higher, and and I could be, and, and that is appropriate, I think, given the last couple stops that he's had. But the more I thought about it, the more I wrestled with it. Like I don't, I'm I'm not blown away by it. I think it probably is a bad idea. But I mean, he has had some success in the past, um, but it hasn't been recently. <laughs> I don't know. What did you think about uh, the Buffs bringing? I mean, him they on? were they were decent this year offensively, thirty two on on offense, and 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 which is a middle of the road power five offense. And you know, he wasn't retained. Um, you know, I mean, like, and I thought when Minnesota hired him, I kind of had a oh wow, like that's that like are you sure you want to do that? Mm-hmm. Because in twenty nineteen. Uh, you know, when he was the, you know, when he was the coordinator at Utah state, he absolutely tanked that offense. Um, you know, they fell all the way to 99 and beta rank. Um, they really struggled. He's never, I mean, even at Notre Dame, he, he didn't put together really, really good offenses grading out into the twenties. I just, I don't know. I mean, look, he's a guy that certainly got a lot of experience at a high level, but it feels like, you know, they could have gone out and made a different hire. They could have gone out and looked for somebody, you know, in the group of five who's doing a really good job, try to hire, make that hire. And they didn't, you know, like they, you know, it, this feels more like, a, oh, he's got some big names on his resume type hire. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not keen on it. It's likely an improvement ever over Chiaverini, who is just not a good coordinator. So, um, I, I still, I mean, if you're Colorado, you're likely to see better football than you did, you know, this past year. Oh, absolutely. And I kind of had that same after, after I digested the decision, it was more, this is a safe and conservative hire. Let's see if it works out. Right. He does that. He boy offensive coordinator at Boise state, Notre Dame, Utah state, Minnesota, he had the two years at Western Kentucky. They didn't go well. And if I recall, I might be putting you on the spot, but that offense, I don't think really took off when he was at Western Kentucky, which was the reason no, they, they hired Ooh, him. No, oh, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, and that's like, I mean, it, like in, he may have a reputation as a recruiter that I'm unaware of. And, you know, like you can see teams go that direction. Um, and if he can recruit well, which Colorado definitely needs some juice recruiting, Um, you know, if he can recruit well, then, you know, like he's probably at a level as an OC where it's fine. You know, like you're, you're you're, like, he's, he's probably not going to produce a top 25 offense while you're there, but you know, it's fine. (laughs) He he gets to the, but if Colorado really gets to the forties, that's a huge improvement. Yeah. That'd be awesome to, for him to get them there if he can. And what he did at Minnesota makes me feel a little bit better, right? He was there for two years, I think. Um, yeah. being able to at least make that offense interesting enough. Uh, and, and he kind of really stepped in for, uh, Oh, uh, Coach Chiraca. Chiraca. Yeah. <laughs> Where's that cat at? He, he was supposed to be awesome. He's back in Minnesota. Oh, <laughs> um, well he flamed out at Penn state. It did not work. Uh, he spent the last year as an analyst at West Virginia and now he's back at Minnesota as the OC. Oh man. Like those musical chairs, you know. Sometimes you got to yeah. get back to that old girlfriend, I guess. Uh, it's, it's just interesting to see what they were able to, you know, going from Minnesota the bed back to Minnesota. But I really do hope that um, Colorado can take that next step up. And okay, I, I, that makes me feel a little bit better about. It. I'm still tepid on the hire, but because um, I think you can get really creative and interesting. There's just so many characters out there that are calling plays that you know could rejuvenate Colorado. I don't know if Sanford's one of them, 
But um, again, probably an improvement there. Some of the other hires, Rob, that we had. So Oregon now has their offensive coordinator uh, or um, yeah, their offensive coordinator that came in from uh, Florida State. I, I, I wasn't as familiar about the coordinator hires that um, that have been made there in Eugene. What do we got? So Dillingham's, I mean, he did a good job. I mean, that Florida State offense, in particular, if you think about the offensive line issues that they were gifted from, I mean, really the, I mean, this goes back to the Willie Taggart times. Um, you know, they've, they've done a good job. I mean, maybe even Jimbo Fisher, you know, they graded out at 41 overall in beta rank um, this past year. He, you know, Dillingham's from the, you know, the, uh, uh, what am I looking for? The, uh, Gus Malzahn coaching tree. Okay. Um, but is a, I think a better play caller than Malzahn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, cause like, that's really been the trouble. I mean, we saw it this year with, you know, uh, UCF regressing offensively. Um, but Florida state, you know, even with their offensive line issues, they graded out a 21 and effective rush. Um, I, I mean, and, and you see this with like yeah. the Bo Nix transfer in, right? Like, you know, this is going to be an offense that's going to, you know, they are going to be a bit more of that read option. You know, there'll be some, and there'll be some RPO as well, but like, they're going to run, like, you're going to need a mobile quarterback. They're going to run the ball really well. And then look to punish you when you creep up, you know, throwing the ball, you know, down the field. I think it's interesting though. Cause like they have, and I don't know, and uh, I feel like I, I need to, rely on some of our Oregon friends on this is, you know, given the other quarterbacks that they have already in Oregon, you know, in Eugene, you know, are those guys mobile enough to really run this offense? Um, it's kind of a question, but I mean, I, th I think Dillingham is a good hire. I, think, I mean, you know, particularly like with the, the hand that landing is going to have on the defense. Um, you know, I, 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 I think they, they did a good job here on the defensive end. And obviously, you know, the head coach is going to have a, a heavy hand in that. But Matt Powledge, I I mean, like this is like the first time when we've seen some of these coordinators outside of Washington because I was like, oh, oh, he just he just brought his, his people over from Fresno State because they really didn't pop out to me. Um, what do we got on the, the defensive side here? Because, I mean, coordinators matter. And even if your head coach is calling plays, I think having that, that person out that can recruit or that can fill in and call play. I, I don't know. I was just curious to see what Oregon has here and Matt Pallage. And I think he came over from Baylor. He did. Um, Ron Roberts is the DC at Baylor. Um, you know, and, and he, he does call the plays. Um, and Aranda's of course involved, but, uh, you know, Pallage came over with Roberts from Louisiana um, under Billy Napier and then moved over to Baylor when Aranda took the job. You know, and he's, I think he's done a good job. I, I, I haven't really tried to grade the hire yet. Cause I don't know if he's going to call plays or not. That's yeah. a pretty critical part. Um, <laughs> you know, cause landing may choose to call plays. Um, and if it doesn't work with Pallage, let you, you would expect landing to just step in and, and, and be your play caller. So I, uh, I, I like, you know, I like this hire. I mean, I think that he's bringing over, you're bringing over somebody that, you know, has good experience from just, you know, working under Roberts and then also getting experience under Aranda. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think Lanning made out, went out and made a pretty smart hire here. Um, and of course the rumors circulating, you know, that maybe Tosh Lapoy maybe joins the staff or, uh, you know, could be really interesting. 
Yeah, I think that's fascinating. And I should I should have mentioned that Palage has the co-defensive coordinator tag. So that kind of leads yeah. me to believe that, yeah, like you mentioned, we're, <laughs> he's going to have less of a role than some of the other defensive coordinators do throughout the conference. I'm trying to think if there's any other hires here. Uh, one of the things that we did talk about because it was initially floated is I think it was Bill Bedenbaugh, the, the offensive line coach, was going to move to USC from Oklahoma. And it seems like that's not the case, which I was super bummed about because I thought that would have been a really – really big pickup for an offensive line that really has been the weakness of USM. Well, there've been a lot of weaknesses for USC, but the offensive line, it's probably the biggest one. Well, I, I heard through the grapevine through some big 12 friends of mine that Ben Bond Riley had a falling out this year. Oh, um, over, you know, how the offensive line was created out and who was picked to play and development. <laughs> so they were not shocked when Ben Bond stayed at Oklahoma. Okay. Um, but they did They did just hire A&M's offensive line coach, although the word on the street, of course, had been, you know, and reported out pretty widely that they were going to go after Houston's offensive coordinator and offensive line coach. He chose to stay with Houston. Um, but getting A&M's offensive line coach is a big deal. They did have to throw the offensive coordinator title at him, but Riley's going to be your play caller. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that I think that's huge. For yeah, I mean that's 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 a big boy move from a uh, a program that has not made enough big boy moves. Yeah, I think one of the things too, there's been this, particularly from the national reporters, they'll talk about how you got to go down south to get the defensive linemen, but it seems like on the west coast, your offensive linemen, there's some really good talent in California. And particularly in Los Angeles, on both both sides of the ball and like both lines, but it seems like in the South is more like the the defensive linemen are more developed. So I guess what I'm saying is that USC should be able to have its pick of the litter in California on the O line, and that's excellent because they have gotten like four and five star guys in that program. They just haven't been coached well, and so which is I'm sure makes people tear their hair out when you're watching. You see Keaton Slovis running for his life, and you're like, don't you have like blue chip players on your your line it less so this year actually than it has been in past years but um i think the point still remains with usc so a really big development if you're an sc fan um any any other major hires i know there's been some position coaches that have been filled in here and there for each program but anything else catch your eye i mean the only thing that's stunning to me is we're post we're well post signing day and jerry has an ro maybe they're waiting till after the bowl game is still the defensive coordinator at um, UCLA and and Stanford, which has no bowl games, is is or no bowl game has not made any moves. That's, yeah, that's that's stunning. That is shocking. Uh, I mean, it is what we'll get into the recruiting after this too, after the break, because I, maybe that's the reason why. But signing day just happened, <laughs> so you know. I mean, and, they, they, and they sign, but the majority of the class that they're going to bring in. I don't know. Yeah, it's bizarre. All right. Well, we have Bo Nix. We have Bo Nix to the conference. Bow, bow, bow. You know, get the alerts and all that stuff. We have three quarterback transfers. We have recruiting. We have two bowl games to preview. Let's do all that right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little 
or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, we're back. And Rob, one of the things that we've talked about this whole year has been the quarterback play in the Pac-12. It's been, uh, I mean, there's some interesting names, Cam Rising, um, you know, Slovis, who's now on the transfer market, Jade Delora. But for the most part, it seemed like the conference really needed a shakeup. And we've gotten it. We have three big name transfers into the conference. You have Bo Nix at Oregon. You have Michael Penix Jr. that is at Washington. And you have the uh, Central Florida guy whose name always escapes me, who's probably the biggest. Dylan Gabriel. Yeah, that's probably the best one, too. He always escapes me. Um, what, what do you think? We'll, go, we'll tick down him. Where do you want to start? I mean, we can start with, well, let's go. I mean, we talked a little bit about Nix. I mean, he's a bit of an adventure as a passer. Um, he can have, you know, some accuracy issues and some decision-making issues as a passer, but, you know, plays with a lot of heart. And I mean that, like, I mean, just, you know, willing to take some shots, willing to, you know, stick his nose in there. Um, you know, and he's definitely got starting experience. So, you know, you, you do feel like, and you know, I don't, I, I gotta say, like, I don't think he's, he's had the best run of coaches with Malzahn stepping in and calling plays. Mike Bobo was the OC at Auburn. Um, you know, I, I definitely think, you know, Nick's has an opportunity with Dillingham to potentially thrive if they could, if he were to start and if they were, you know, that scheme would fit what he's going to do pretty well. My, my initial, and I sent this out and a gazillion people ended up commenting on it, but my knee-jerk reaction was, isn't Bo Nix basically Anthony Brown with more picks? Um, and, I, I, you know, looking back, that might not be fair, but that was, like, my knee-jerk reaction. Because uh, he actually, in 2021, did fairly well, right? 11 touchdowns, three interceptions. But he did have, like, there's a reason they call him Bo Picks, right? It's, like, those big back-breaking moments. Kind of like Tony Romo, I think. That's what I yeah. think when I think of Knicks. Like, where you, you can ride Romo for a while, and then you're like, oh, no. Like, right at the worst possible moment, um, he tries to force it. But with that said, like, the more I've thought about it, I believe there are offensive coordinator you'd mentioned was from the Malzahn tree. And I think he had a hand in Knicks when he was a freshman, which was probably yeah. his best year at Auburn. So yep. I think that's interesting. Um, and it makes me a little bit more, um, makes me a little bit more optimistic about having him as an option, but it also made me think like, and I know you want to stack up on as much talent as you possibly can, but like, does that mean Ty Thompson? They're not quite certain no, what they I got. Him? Yeah. I mean, you might as well. I mean, it's true that you might as well stack up QBs, right? And yeah. and but that's where like I kind of wonder. And they were certainly, I mean, I think Moorhead's offense would have worked a lot better with better downfield passing, right? Yeah, they were able to get the most they they really could out of Anthony Brown, um, you know, this season. But you know, the fact that they, you know, Cristobal, you know, the year before stuck with Tyler Shuck, um, and then in this case, really, you know, stuck with Anthony Brown all season. I mean, it's. Uh, they need to be more flexible with QBs, you know, Eugene, and hopefully they'll get that with Lanning. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it, it is going to be a hard one because, you know, I, even if you like what you have in Thompson or Butterfield, they may not fit what Dillingham's ideal offense is. And if, if, if in his playbook, Nick's opens up more schematically, 
you know, he's the guy that's likely going to play and, and he knows, you know, what Dylan, you know, is in Dillingham's playbook. He's got a big advantage in this case. Right. So, um, but he's going to know the terminology. He's going to know the, I mean, and the scheme and the plays. That's a big leg up going into spring. If he's, if he's going to be there for spring, um, it will be interesting because if you're Oregon, I mean, I, I just don't, I, I can't remember. I don't think they've signed a QB, a QB. I think they're one quarterback they had in the class, which was a kid from Alabama ended up going elsewhere. Um, you know, they may need, you know, if, because I do like if it like in landing, will probably try to hold making a decision at QB for a while you know, <laughs> just to, just to keep, but you know, they might find themselves light on QBs if they don't maybe go get another transfer quarterback in, um, as well, or at least sign somebody. Um, but you, you, you hate to, I mean, you hate to sign a high school kid knowing you're just bringing in a body. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, and like you mentioned, does Butterfield's like, that's a, that was a four-star blue chip quarterback that hasn't really seen the field. Does he bounce? Right. Um, obviously Thompson five-star guy that they were interested in. And it was, I just found it pretty intriguing what they were able to do. I guess the one thing before we move on to Dylan Gabriel, cause I think that's actually the more interesting uh, transfer is that, you know, Nick's for all, all the flack that he caught. I mean, 11 touchdowns, three interceptions, 61% completion rate. Um, yeah. So, I mean like, so and, and playing against some of the best defenses in, in the country. So, you know, I, I think he did get a bit of a bad rap, but I think some of it was certainly deserved you know, is those big moments where you kind of thought like, dang, I, I wish Auburn had a better quarterback. <laughs> they could yeah. be able to uh, make that next leap. So that's kind of what Oregon has there. But I think the fascinating transfer here was Dylan Gabriel, the UCF quarterback going from Orlando headed to UCLA to run the offense again under Chip Kelly. Um, did DTR decide to go? Um, like, is he still there? I didn't see anything about him going pro or transferring. I don't know. I mean, I guess they must be assuming he's going to the pros. <laughs> if they're bringing in Gabriel. I mean, look, I mean, Gabriel's probably not going there. If DTR is still going to, you know, if, if, if the staff thinks DTR is hanging around, you know, um, so he may not have told them, told them, but I'm sure that, you know, the indications the staff has is that he's probably going pro. Um, but Gabriel's, fascinating. I mean, somewhat mobile, you know, really, really good passer, um, you know, will likely be the best true passer that, you know, Chip Kelly's had that offense did take a step forward. Not likely. I mean, straight up. I I think that's the case, right? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Like a not close. I mean, DTR is improved, but you know, yeah. I mean, the offense finished the season at 14 overall in beta rank. They were a lot better running the ball than they were throwing the ball. Number seven, an effective rush. And, and DTR did play a role in that. I mean, he was pretty effective with his legs this season. Um, but, you know, what Gabriel potentially opens up and they got a good wide receiver transfer in from Duke, too. Mm-hmm. Um you know, is opening up the passing game. They finished at 44 and effective pass. I mean, that's, I really do. I, I think they could, you know, this could, this could make UCLA even more dangerous on offense. Oh yeah. I think, uh, definitely a team to look out for. If you just take a look at his numbers and I know I'm stat counting, but like we're a PAC 12 podcast and we do watch some of the national stuff, but 
you know, I was, I'll be frank. I wasn't a big UCF, like, you know, advocate. Yeah. You know, just, oh, okay. But if you take a look at his stats, like 2020, 32 touchdowns, four interceptions, 8.6 yards per pass, 60% completion rate. That's pretty freaking good. Um, he injured himself this year. So his numbers are a little bit like wonky, right? Um, sick, but 68% completion rate, eight yards down the field per pass, nine touchdowns, three interceptions. If you compare that to Nick's, like Nick's average uh, yards per pass was like 6.5. So you have a quarterback that is gunning it down a little bit more. Um, that makes really good decisions. And, uh, and that's that's pretty exciting because and, and is a little bit mobile, like you mentioned. I mean, I think this is going to be a yeah. really good weapon for UCLA. I was kind of down on a bounce back year for UCLA, but man, if you have Gabriel as your quarterback and you have some wide receivers finally that can um, actually step up and do stuff besides your tight end, uh, I mean, UCLA could be pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, pending the defense, which I wouldn't hold my breath on, but yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, I think this offense has a real shot. Uh, to be really good this next season. And I mean, and UCLA needed it because they, you know, they, yeah, they did bring in that transfer from Washington, um, but they haven't really, they haven't really been able to figure out the QB position recruiting wise at all. Um, you know, and so they were able to go out in the transfer market again. Yeah. And another big name that's coming to the Pac-12, Michael Penix Jr., who came from Indiana to follow his uh, former offensive coordinator. He was He's a fascinating story because really was a big name that pushed Indiana kind of into that national spotlight as much as Indiana can get into the spotlight. But they've had some really interesting years, 2019 and 2020. You know, he had a combined 24 touchdowns, eight interceptions, um, a pretty good completion rate. Again, was able to throw the ball down the field 2019, uh, 8.7 yards per pass. He was injured again. I mean, that's one of the issues with with Penix is can he stay healthy? Because uh, he was kind of a mess in 2021. That, that's kind of like the dirtier seeker, right? Six yards per pass, four touchdowns, seven interceptions, kind of running for his life behind that offensive line and uh, and has been injured basically throughout his career, as, as far as I recall. Um, I actually need to go back and double check that. But I'm like very, very fairly certain that that's been the case. It certainly was the last year. What did you think about Penix signing up for the Huskies? I really like this. I mean, I think people should not overthink this because Nick Sheridan, Indiana's offensive coordinator in 2020 and 2021 was fired for a reason. (laughs) That is being a really bad offensive coordinator. Um, Penix regressed. I mean, like the big game that they had in 2020 or in 20, yeah, in 2020 was that game against Ohio State. Kerry Combs, your Ohio former Ohio State defensive coordinator, was there. Um, everyone used to torch that Buckeye secondary, Michael Penix included, even with, you know, the really bad, um, uh, you know, as much as they regressed. But in 2019, he was really, really good with DeBoer. Um you know, and I, I just, I, people, like I said, like they shouldn't overthink it. The offensive line really regressed for Indiana too. Penix was basically running for his life back there. I, I like this get, this is a really good get for them. But again, like, man, Washington's got some, some guys sitting around. I mean, Penix isn't going to chase anyone out, but like Penix is a legit talent too. I mean, they're, they're definitely bringing in somebody that's going to absolutely push. Um, and that's what I, you sort of asked the question at is like, you know, for Heward, 
Um, and, and probably Morris will be on the way out the door, but you know, for Heward, you know, like, what do you do? You know, did you want to play sooner rather than later? And how do you feel about maybe sitting? Cause Penix is, is an experienced QB, you know, with a, a really big arm and, and he's fairly accurate with the, the addition of the mobility that he has. I don't know. I mean, I think it's a really good signing for Washington and, and somebody that DeBoer is going to, you know, knows is going to know his system. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, all all of these transfers are quite interesting. I think last year we had a couple transfers. It's like, oh, this guy was a quarterback and he was pretty good at Colorado State, and now he'll be the third string in Washington. You know, like there's a lot of that going on. So I think this is a really fascinating year for quarterbacks. It will certainly, at worst, rise the level of depth in the conference. But I, I'm, I mean, I fully expect Gabriel to start. I think Knicks has a really good chance to start. And certainly, like you mentioned, if Penix is healthy, uh, I think I think it is fascinating to see what DeBoer is able to do with him again because we've seen the success that they've had uh, when they were in Bloomington. So really fascinating time. Any other transfers to mention? I mean, I saw a couple of, like, you know, that have just been here or there. But um, I, I'm trying to think of anything else that was like, oh, snap, that person went to that school. I don't think there's really – I mean, like USC certainly had some guys entering the portal – you know, which is expected, right? When you have a new coaching staff coming in, um, you know, there's a, like, you know, uh, ZTF is flirting with maybe entering the portal at Washington. Like he oh. said, he wasn't going to the NFL, but he didn't necessarily say he was coming back. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't think there's been any really big signings that sort of uh, move the, move the radar the way those other ones have. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that. There's certainly more to come. And, you know, we had the early signing day, but there are certainly other players that have decided to come. Um, well, it depends on how much time we have. We might do the Arizona postmortem in this show or in the next one, but certainly a big flip for Arizona, getting one of the best wide receivers in the country. Um, and, we'll, and we'll talk about recruiting here after the break, too. Um, in fact, let's just do that. We'll, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk recruiting. We're not a recruiting show, so just know we're not like we're going to do real, you know, what we're going to go a mile wide, an inch deep here, but just kind of give a basic overview of how um, recruiting early signing day went. And then we will break down our upcoming bowl games and we'll do it right after this. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, we're back. And early signing day happened, Rob. And Stanford and Arizona, if, if you would have said like, I mean, maybe, maybe I would have said Stanford as like the third choice. Um, but 
if and I guess it, it depends, right? Because Oregon has a new coach, USC has a new coach, so there's a lot of turnover and turmoil and all that stuff. But um, at the end of the day, when the dust settled on early signing day, at least for now, Stanford sits according to two four seven. Um, at the top of the recruiting rankings in Arizona, the freaking school that went one and eleven is number two, and I just find that fascinating, Rob. But what stood out for you on early signing day? I mean, you know, the biggest thing, you know, I think, and and probably the most important thing for the Pac-12, unfortunately, is that there, there. I mean, there are only two schools in the top twenty-five. And no schools in the top 10 for the Pac-12. Yeah. And you knew, I mean, you knew, you know, given how early, you know, the, I mean, you know, given that, you know, USC and Washington made changes early um, and then Oregon made a change right before signing day, you knew that, you know, there was, there was, you know, it was going to be a tough time for West Coast programs, but. I mean, just it's it, this is a tough one. I mean, this is you know the the new early signing period. In a lot of ways, we talk about um, puts coaches in a really big hole. You know, like new coaches are suddenly in a really big hole because they're just the likelihood that you're going to get anything out of your first class is minimal. <laughs> you know, like Riley. I mean, he was able to get out there and get some guys in the end, and there's certainly still some you know some fish to fry out there. Um, but USC and they did get, you know, the, you know, two five-star commits, you know, to, to sign. Um, but they've only got, you know, six players signed and, you know, or seven players signed. That's rough. You know, I mean, uh, if you're, if you're USC and, and Washington, I mean, Washington had it even, <laughs> I mean, they're going to, everybody talks about sort of like going to, they're going to need to be really active in the transfer portal. I think that's true. Um, I just, it's, it's tough to see. And uh, when you, you know, sort of couple that with ASU, basically, I mean, not recruiting that many high school players, you know, this is going to be this, this year could really could, you know, three years down the road, we, we could be seeing some of the effects of this year on the PAC 12. Um, you know, of these top teams really missing um, signing kids this year. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things that was fascinating is, you know, you sort all these things. They have the chart where it has like the five stars, the four stars and the three stars. And all of Alabama's are like the same numbers that you see in the Pac-12, except they're shifted over by a column. right? So like the number of five stars they have are equal to or greater than the number of four stars that, um, you know, the top programs of the Pac-12 have, and then you shift the four stars and it's the same as the three stars. So, I mean, it is what it is. It's the world that we live in right now, but recruiting is really important. Um, when you have recruiting and you have good coaching, that's when you start competing for national titles. So this year, you're right. I mean, when Stanford's like number 17 in the country and that's the best program recruiting out of the Pac-12, um, there will be ramifications for that later. But I do think it's fascinating that Stanford was able to bring in a good class, um, seven seven blue chip players that come in. And <clears throat> excuse me, um, one of the things that I was concerned about was like in the past, we've had a lot of um, a lot of classes in the Pac-12 um, look like they're punching above their weight. I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out a way more. We're like ASU is a good example, right? ASU for the last couple of years has brought in a ton of blue chip players. They're all wide receivers, right? So yeah. when you really get, you really rise as a program 
when you build those trenches and Stanford did that. So this is like a little bit different than some of the other programs. Like Arizona has like, you know, they have a lot of wide receivers and a lot of, um, they have a couple linebackers that are four star kids, but you know, you want to see a program that has those blue chip players at the defensive linemen, like right. Fill those big bodies in the center or, um, offensive linemen that have shown that they have an ability to really protect your quarterback. And obviously, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to push back on that a little bit because like, yeah, sure. Stanford can sign all these guys they want. Their offensive line coach isn't good since Bloomgren went to Rice, and their defensive line coach isn't good since in the last seven years. So, like, yeah, they're, these guys are going to go and disappear into the black hole <laughs> of talent that has become the farm, right? Like, Oh, that's um, true. I'm not saying that their careers aren't going to be, like, they won't be ruined by this coaching staff. But, you know, if they're recruiting, if there's one place where I want Stanford to recruit, that would be where it is. Um so like, I guess yeah. what I'm trying to say is that and like a couple of Stanford classes have been like this where um, they've really recruited well at the uh, at the skill positions. And even those guys get bare. Like this, this is more of a they have the bodies. I don't think they're going to do anything with them. But uh, <laughs> but I don't know. It, it is Stanford. And I, I think you're absolutely right where I don't think the coaching staff is going to do anything with the talent. But it's interesting that they have it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I think it's, I mean, I like Utah signed a very Utah class again, you know, yeah. like two four stars, you know, 16 three stars, a lot of guys that are going to go into that program and develop, you know, they got, a, they got Nate Johnson, a four star QB. They should be pretty excited about him <clears throat> for sure. But, you know, like the uh, in, in UCLA actually, I mean, I don't think getting six four stars is like outstanding if you're UCLA. Right? I mean, <laughs> this is a class that's ranked 45th nationally. You know, like they they could have done better and should have done better. And it's I don't know, it's just freaking UCLA. What are you gonna do? Um, and Oregon, given you know the, the their turnover was later, and they only have seven you know signed letters of intent. Um, but there's still a chance for them to salvage the class. Um, you know, with Lanning getting out there and trying to get guys in late, you know, um, you know, even though the, I mean, there's, there's still a couple guys that, you know, they had four guys that chose not to sign in the early period and maybe sign in February. So those guys are still going to be considering Oregon and, you know, they can go out there and get after them. But it's just, I mean, and look too, I mean, like Washington state only signed 10 guys. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, look, this could all be changing under our feet and basically everybody's going to go out and try to make it all up out of the transfer portal. But I mean, I guess too, like you look at these numbers, even for some of the non, you know, the, like the programs that didn't have turnover. I mean, Cal only signed 13 guys. Yeah. (laughs) And it wasn't a good class. I mean, at 57 overall, they got one four star kid in there, you know, like, and they didn't, you know, they, 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 you know, they, they didn't bring in a QB, you know, this year. Like I just, and Garbers is off to the NFL. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> like, I uh. guess I'm just, I'm, I'm a little good. Like, I guess like, look, I mean, like kudos to Stanford for doing their usual. Like, I, I think the one thing you can give David Shaw's, you know, a ton of credit for is like his class, you know, his guys still go out and recruit. Yeah. Um, they don't coach well on the field anymore, but they recruit. I mean, Arizona is sort of the shock, right? I mean, four, four star commits, 
you know, getting up into, you know, the top 25, Arizona hasn't had a class like this since Mike Stoops was, mm -hmm. was at Arizona. Yeah. I mean, just that, I mean, that's the real, I mean, like, but again, like Arizona took advantage of, I don't, I don't think you're going to see Arizona do this every year. They took advantage of all the turmoil. Yeah. Right? They did. Well, they went into Servite and they're like, who would like to come here? You know, and they, yeah. and they did something that's really smart. And I'm curious what you think about this theory. Cause I know they were talking to Keaton Slovis, but the reason that Arizona got all the Servite kids was because they were able to sign their quarterback who is right. really a fascinating guy. He's like five, four, um, <laughs> Noah Fafita, I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, but a lot of guys like him. Like one of our our friends, QB11, uh, that does a lot of tape, really likes him. And clearly his classmates did, which is why Arizona is able to pull in like a tight end and a couple wide receivers uh, to follow him. I'm wondering if – and his mom, by the way, was like a big part of the recruiting. I mean, it's really fascinating because I think it's the, it's the reason why Arizona is so high on this list. And we don't normally talk a lot about Arizona football, so – I just think it's fascinating that a one in 11 team got to this point. Um, but I'm curious what you think about this thought. I don't know if Arizona signs a transfer because if I'm no, if I'm Noah, I'm like, Hey, I brought all these cats here. And if you recruit over me, I'm going to raise a lot of, a lot of Holy hell. <laughs> basically. No, that's what I, I mean, like they're the best thing for them would be for him to win the job in spring. And, you know, I think a lot of these guys are enrolling early. Um, from Servite in particular, but, and I think Arizona also made a concerted effort to try to get guys to enroll early, uh, in this class. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I look, there's they, I mean, the big name that they get, of course, along with Fafita is McMillan, um, Burnett, his dad actually played at Arizona. So, you know, he, even though he was a one-time USC commit, um, you know, like he, uh, you know, he's a guy that, you know, certainly the, the turnover at USC helped, but they flipped him over the summer. And I think, you know, his dad being an alum helped as well as having Fafita in the door, but yeah, I mean, to get out there and I mean, and they signed some guys that, um, you know, like Sterling lane and, 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 you know, the, I mean, there's obvious guys like Kevin green, um, you know, who they, they got after USC had the trouble Ephesians Prysock, who, again, they got after USC, um, you know, had trouble. <laughs> it's, the, I mean, it's the theme. Yeah. I mean, like they, they definitely went out there and made, I mean, and they got McMillan who was a, you know, lifelong ducks fan because of the staff turnover. I mean, he, now he had almost committed to Arizona in the summer, but he's also alive, like grew up an Oregon fan. Um, you know, but they're able to really seal the deal with him because of the staff turnover at Oregon. I mean, but this stuff is like, if you can get these kids and get them on campus and keep them and actually develop them. I mean, like this is a change, like this is a like program changing class for Arizona if it pans out. Um, and that's amazing, right? I mean, Arizona, you know, you have a ton of fortuitous circumstances, but nobody else in the PAC 12 took advantage. Like, I mean, the only team that really made hay while Oregon and Washington and USC were in utter disarray and Arizona state is basically waiting for the NCAA hammer to drop and basically gave up high school recruiting. The only team that made <laughs> hay in these circumstances is Arizona. Yeah. Like a team that won one game because Cal had, had half their starters out with COVID. <laughs> like, I just don't, I mean, I just, I, I, I guess like, 
look, like we're talking, like we don't have to talk about Arizona anymore on this. The thing is, what was everyone else doing? (laughs) (laughs) Because like, yes, whatever. Like you can all sit there and, uh, you know, we follow a ton of different PAC 12 people on, you know, around the conference and when they sign somebody, it's, Oh, this is, this kid's amazing. He's got, you know, the potential to grow into NFL, blah, 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 whatever. Like it's mostly three stars. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> sure. Some, so like a stop, you know, it's the stop clock, right? Like, uh, it'll be right. I mean, if you, if you tell me that every three star, your, you know, school signs is going to be great and turn into a starter, like, yeah, some of them will, but like which ones, <laughs> right? But like the fact that like Utah coming off a Pac-12 title yeah. didn't take better advantage of this in the Pac-12, right? Colorado waits to sign their offensive coordinator till the, you know, after the signing period is basically over and doesn't have any juice out on the recruiting trail. Oregon State, you know, like doesn't doesn't do anything again. Cal does nothing. And with Charlie Regal moving on to take a head coaching job in the FCS, like they lose their best Arizona recruiter, you know, like, which is important now. Like there's a lot of talent out in Arizona. So yeah. Yeah. No, I mean like, but that's really, I mean, we we were talking, I don't know, like it was like, I was talking to somebody else about this maybe, but like with the Kafusi signing for, for Arizona, you know, like he's from Utah, played at Utah, recruits Utah, like you suddenly out West, you have to like, there's a lot of really good skill position guys in particular at Arizona, but there's a lot of big bodies in Utah and the Salt Lake city area too. Mm -hmm. You got to go recruit those guys. I don't know. I guess I'm just like the top quarterback out West one time USC commit is a four star. He's going to Ohio state, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's not going to Utah. None of the other PAC 12 schools scooped him up. Right. Yeah. Not, and it's going, I mean, he's going to play for Ryan day. And I mean, to be frank, I mean, it, like nobody else, nobody else was able to pitch him on like, dude, you could easily get recruited over. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah, come play for Utah. We just won the freaking South again. I mean, you know, yeah. I totally. Yeah, now I mean, they got they, they got like, their guy, you, but yeah. yeah, you you could argue like Utah had their guy and and Johnson, you know, fine. But like, I don't know to to have this much turmoil turmoil among the top programs out west, and the only program that really takes advantage of it and signs what what I think you could argue is like, you know, two or three additional four stars you know, and some other, you know, other players to land on their lap is freaking Arizona. Like, that's crazy. Like, what, what was everyone else? Like, that is my big question here is like, what were the rest of, what was the, because like Arizona is like the bottom, like the lowest class of the PAC 12, the surfs, right? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. What was, what was the middle class of the PAC 12 doing? Right. Like UCLA signs, no five stars and ends up with the number 45 ranked class amongst all of this. <laughs> And they lost a kid to Arizona. They lost a kid in AJ Brown, right? Is that his name? No, AJ Jones. He was a UC, he was a UCLA commit. They flipped. Like, what was, what was? I don't get it. I'm just so frustrated at that. Like, I'm so frustrated when you look at these classes and look at like the fact that the Pac-12 has literally no one in the top ten in recruiting. Stanford's your best recruiter out there. And yeah, you can like, sure. You know, you, everybody got punched in like the top programs. Yeah. They're going to, they might scuffle around. That's the nature of the business. Right. 
but literally nobody else did anything. Nobody else got in there and closed the deal, which just means yet again, everybody else came out West and cleaned house. Yeah. Right. And like, that's got to change. I mean, like landing has to change that Riley in particular has to change that. These kids have to stay in the Pac-12 footprint. I'm so bummed that Oregon State didn't pick up a quarterback. I mean, they, they got a, a guy, Travis Stockmorton. You know, his offers were Florida, Atlanta, Nevada, Southern Miss. And those are interesting programs, but uh, Oregon State has an offensive line. They have an offensive coordinator who is going to make you look good. And and it just kind of is what it is, you know. Um, well, hopefully they're, they're That's able. That's where Slovis should go. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's frustrating because, like, yeah, I mean, if you look at that guy's offers, I mean, they're, it's a decent group. Like, Oregon State seems like his only power five offer. Yeah. (laughs) That's a bummer. Yeah. You know, like, uh, you know, that, that's too bad. I mean, really, I mean, I, I mean, I just find myself like just really, yeah, I mean, I'm just really disappointed. I'm disappointed in the conference, right? That like the conference didn't go out and do more. Um, and I do expect like USC's like Lincoln Riley is no slouch, you know, like that he definitely got, you know, and, and if you look like, you know, for next season for USC, you know, like there are guys already lining up to go to USC, you know, Malachi Nelson, who's, you know, a California quarterback, five-star, you know, flip from Oklahoma. That's great. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, they're going to have some guys. I'm just. Like they gotta, like they gotta get, like they gotta get out there. I, there's not gonna be that many uncommitted top prospects left. Like they gotta clean house in the portal, um, too, because like they've also had. I mean, they've they've lost some real depth into the transfer portal already on the other side of it. Mm. Yeah, it's been it has been a hot minute here um, when it comes to recruiting. We'll we'll keep a look on on all that stuff. And again, like that's about as deep as we'll get into recruiting. But I, I liked the basically the prism that you looked through it where it's like hey man um <laughs> we had our two top programs in utter turmoil and i would argue the third one with uh, with washington and this is what the rest of the pac-12 came up with that that is a bit depressing so um hopefully some of these schools can step their game up we have two bowls let let's pass on the we just talked a lot about arizona so we'll we'll do our post-mortem on them a little bit later but let's get into the uh the bowl games here rob and let's do it right after this when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, all right, all right. We are going into our bowl season, and we have two coming up here. Now, there's no bowls this coming week By the t- when we record this. Um, these will be in the following week, but we figured since they're on Monday and Tuesday, it's better to get to them now. We're going to start, uh, Rob, with the Holiday Bowl, and they, they must just switch this up because this used to be like the second um, – the team that plays second in the Pac-12 would play the team that plays third in the Big 12. And now we have UCLA and NC State, which I think is a fascinating matchup. It's it's really going to be interesting. Um, what do we got here in the, in the Holiday Bowl? This is a really good game. Um, so UCLA is at thirty one in Beta Rank, NC State's at thirty two. Um, you know, Beta Rank basically sees this game 
you know, as, as nearly a toss up. Um, actually it is, it's a dead toss up 50% win probability, <laughs> nobody, no favorite. Um, listen, NC state has a really good defense. They're number 13 overall in beta rank. Um, but you know, they, they're a little bit more, you know, susceptible against the run. They're at 27, an effective rush, nine, an effective pass. They're going to probably be able though, to, to try to stack the box here. Um, you know, uh, cause UCLA is at seven an effective rush 44 an effective pass. You know, they're going to dare UCLA to, to beat them throwing the football. You flip it around NC state's offense isn't great. 60 overall in beta rank. They're much better to throwing the ball though. They're 96 an effective rush, 25 an effective pass, really more explosive offense. Tim Beck, their offensive coordinator is a little bit more of a guy that a little bit more of a home run guy. They get a UCLA defense that's 66 overall. Uh, you can drive against this UCLA defense. They're a little bit better controlling explosives at number, you know, 32 there. Um, but they're at 60 and effective rush 71 and effective pass. So really, I mean, on, on either side of the ball, it's a pretty even matchup. Special teams are evenly matched up 61 for UCLA 64 for NC state. It's a real tough game to call. Cause it's, you know, it's just a tight game. NC state right now is a one point favorite. Like, yeah. You know, and it, it's it, I like I it, I feel like this one could come down to turnovers or who even gets up more for this game. Give me the Wolfpack. I don't trust UCLA's defense. Um, if Devin Leary's playing in this game, uh, I think he lights up the secondary. Uh, thirty-five touchdowns, five interceptions, thirty-four hundred yards. Uh, uh, yeah, thirty-four hundred yards on the season, sixty-five percent completion rate. Um, they also have two running backs, uh, Knight and Pearson who have more than 600 yards. They're both averaging more than four, four and a half yards per carry. I just don't trust UCLA's defense. And look, I mean, it's bowl season, so it, it could be just completely bonkers. But, like, I don't see I don't see UCLA getting up for this game. I don't know why. I just, like, you know, defense tends to travel, right? Is this defense going to just go down to San Diego and just be really excited to be in the Holiday Bowl? Um, because I feel like there were some higher expectations for UCLA. And I think NC like NC state, this is kind of a big game for them. They've, they've always been like kind of floating around and a nine and three season is pretty good for them. So if you're telling me that their defense is like top, would you say top 15? Yeah. They're number 13 overall. And they're pretty good at rush defense. Yeah. I mean, they're at 27 there. They're at number oh, yeah. nine and effective pass. Um, but Tony Gibson, their defensive coordinator is a real rising star in the profession. I, I mean, I think, I think this is, a, I mean, this is going to be a, I, really like, you, I mean, if you're a Pac-12 fan, you'll watch this anyway. If you're tuning into this, you'll likely watch this, but it, this should be a really fun matchup to watch. I, I'm really excited for it. I do think to your point, like they, they really do have an opportunity to really light up UCLA's struggling past defense. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I, and I, I don't let the past in a bowl game dictate my pick for, for a lot of reasons, but, uh, and particularly this one, right? So in the past, the holiday bowl has been big points, um, no defense and the big 12 team wins. I mean, that's literally been the, the holiday bowl forever, but here we have, um, an ACC team, but they are playing against a, a UCLA team that doesn't have, doesn't have the defense. So I'm, I'm just curious to see how many points UCLA is going to be able to put up because I think they're probably going to have to keep, to keep scoring 
in order to take care of business. The one thing that I'm curious about, and I just don't know, is how good the safeties are for NC State because they're going to need them, right? Like UCLA throws to the big tight ends. They don't really throw to the outside very much. I'm curious to see if they're able to take care of business. Um, if Zach Charbonnet is playing in this game, I'm sure he'll have, you know, he'll get his yards, but can NC state stop anybody else? And if they can, then I think they win this game, like by what, seven to 10 points. Um, I don't know. I'm just not like, and and I've gotten burned by UCLA all year. (laughs) So I've been the one, I've been the one on this podcast doubting them all year. So it's possible that they come in and win this game. Um, again, the, the bowls are are a different animal. It's a different type of way of looking at the games. Um, who are you going to take Rob? Uh, or who do you uh, lean? Who do you lean? We're we're not doing like like full picks on this, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, give me give me NC State on this one. The other game that's fascinating is the Alamo Bowl, which features Oregon against Oklahoma, and uh, two teams that have lost their coach. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I like this Oklahoma team is fascinating because at the beginning of the year. They were um, one of the favorites because uh, people thought Spencer Rattler, myself included, was going to take another step forward. Obviously, that didn't happen. They ended up with uh, Caleb Johnson, who is fun. I don't know if he's great, but his stats are pretty good, right? 18 touchdowns, four interceptions. He ha- he does try to force it sometimes, and he certainly can get on the ground and run as well, right? 400 yards and six touchdowns on the ground. Ah, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. What, what was Beta Rank say? Like, my... Initial impression is I think Johnson is going to score against Oregon's defense, but you know, maybe the, maybe I don't think Oklahoma's defense has really stepped up either. What, what do you got here? Uh, this is a real, I mean, this is a real tough one, right? Cause like Bob, Bob Stooch is going to be coaching <laughs> Oklahoma here. Um, and I don't, I, I mean, I, I it, it's, I'm assuming it's going to be some combination of like Kale Gundy or, um, bed and Baugh running the offense here for Oklahoma. That's going to be a step down from Riley, but you know, the offense for Oklahoma has been a 10. They're overall at 19. Um, they're number 12 in effective pass 25 in effective rush. They get an Oregon defense. That's really kind of scuffled along this season. I mean, number 45 in beta rank the 120 in drive efficiency. Everyone's been able to put together drives against Oregon. Um, they do a much better job containing big plays, number eight in explosive drives. And that's what Oklahoma makes their money on, right? They're number five in explosive drives. So that's a positive. Um, but Oregon struggled against the pass 65 and effective pass 45 and effective rush. Um, I don't know what we're going to get out of this defense here. And, and Oklahoma does have a really significant special teams advantage, 30 in special teams versus 92 for Oregon. Um, but you flip it around and Oregon's offense has been pretty good. Moorhead's going to stay and call plays for this game. Um, they're number seven in explosive drives, nine in effective rush, 45 in effective pass. They get an Oklahoma defense that isn't very good. And Alex Grinch is not going to be around to call this game. Um, 48 in effective or 48 for beta rank for them. Um, 46 in effective rush, 66 in effective pass. I'm just, I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, Oklahoma is like a, in, in beta rank right now at this is a three point favorite in beta rank. Hmm. Um, and what do we, and, you know, Vegas has it at four and a half. I, th- I just think that feels right yeah. because, you know, I, I just, I think when you look at the turn, like, I think Oklahoma has got a little less turmoil on their staff. Um, then you might say Oregon does at this point. And 
I don't know. I mean, I just, I, and I, I, I feel like Oklahoma feels a little more settled, um, having a, at least just a very little bit more time to process and get ready and having Stoops able to come in and try to organize this. Yeah. Do not bet on this game. Uh, it's good. Both teams are kind of shuffling through stuff right now. Uh, I'll, I'll take Oklahoma. I just do not believe in this Ducks defense. We'll see what happens uh, next year, but I don't know. Like I, I just, I just trust Oklahoma to be able to move the ball in different ways. I think it's great that Moorhead's there. I don't trust Anthony Brown. Um, I think Oregon's rush offense is fine, but uh, I don't know. I, I just feel like Oklahoma is going to have a better feel for this. Uh, you know, it'd be really funny if Mike Stoops is the defensive coordinator. Like, I don't know who's actually calling plays for them. Uh, maybe, maybe Bob Stoops is the one that's doing the, the defensive play calling. But um, I just think it's a, an interesting matchup. It's kind of a bummer because in an alternate universe, this is the best game, you know, one of the best bowl games of the year. But yeah. it, just with all the turmoil and all the different stuff that's happening, who knows who's actually going to play in this game, right? So you don't know who actually is going to step up and, and be in the game who wants to go pro. There's a lot of players here that have a lot at stake. Um, and you know, if I'm a, if I'm a parent of a kid that's, you know, has an NFL future, I'd be like, Nope, <laughs> like you're not playing in this game. It's not for the playoff. And it is an exhibition game, um, where your coach is not, not actually calling plays. So let's, uh, let's move on and pack it up. So, um, that is likely to happen. I think with a number of players in, you know, on both sides. So, uh, but I'll take Oklahoma. Uh, what about you, Rob? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Sooners here. We're just fading the Pac-12. I just those are I mean those are tough. Ma- I mean the Pac-12 got a bunch of tough matchups here, you know. Yeah, Wisconsin um, for Arizona State, wa- Miami at Washington State. I mean, really, Oof. the best matchup might be that Washington, you know, Washington State game. Really, I mean that that the Utah Ohio State game should be a fun one, but it's going to be a tough matchup for the Utes. They, I mean, the Pac-12 might go over. I'm sure one of these teams is going to win, but. I'm not confident in it. I mean, they like UCLA and, and Oregon have about that. I mean, I don't think you should at no point which you know, there's a reason the spread hasn't moved to like seven points in either of those games. Right. I mean, it, yeah. the, both of those games should be close. So the PAC 12, you know, should win one of those games. Um, but if they don't win one of those games, then it all of a sudden, like it, you really are maybe looking at that, that Washington state Miami game, because like Arizona state is going to run into a really tough defense against, against Wisconsin. Like that is going to be a very tough matchup for them. I saw a tweet from, I think it was uh, speak of the devils that was saying that, uh, that their fullback was going to have a real big role and could be the secret to their bowl game against Wisconsin. I'm like, <laughs> like okay, like, good luck with that. Yeah. Great, great X's and O's there guys. That's, uh, that's, I don't, I don't think Wisconsin's going to be surprised by like, Oh, they're, they're going to run the ball. <laughs> Uh, well, we'll we'll continue to report on these bowls as we go through this, the off season. We have a lot more uh, news that are gonna, is going to be popping up from the transfer portal. So stay tuned. We'll continue to record weekly. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Rob, do you have anything else? Are are you doing any? But by, by the way, one of the things that we should mention is if you if your school got a new coordinator, like you can go to Sharp College Football and look up literally how that coordinator did for the last five to wait, we go back to 2012, like compared to every yeah. other team in the country. It, it is, it's a real, that sharp college football site is a really cool tool to use. Um, and, and it was, I used it when, uh, 
Washington hired John Donovan. I'm like, I don't know about this one. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so kind of a fun thing to, to take a look at and see how, you know, what the track record is over time, because it's one thing to put up total yards. It's another to compare that to the strength of schedule to, to see how much, how many points they actually scored, you know, cause that creativity and that third, you know, third and long, or just getting to, to third and short, like that's, that in itself is a skill. Um, and I think being able to score points is really indicative of how creative you can be. So, um, I don't know. What, anything else you want to plug on that front, Rob? No, I mean, do check that out. I'm going to try to do a, uh, a playoff preview this week before I take off for a little bit of Christmas break right after Christmas. So, um, yeah. So I'll try to get uh, to check out that video when it comes out, you know, previewing the, the two playoff games. Yeah. Stay tuned as we go into Christmas. Like, you know, we'll, Rob and I will figure out when to record, but you know, yeah, be, be flexible, everybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, everybody. Well, we will leave you at that. Uh, our, our Arizona postmortem will be next week and we'll continue to go through the Pac-12 teams as we do that too. Um, we have lots of guests that we would love to bring on and um, lots of stuff to get to. So thanks for tuning in and we will catch you next week.